All right. Well, Merry Christmas again. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. Uh, thanks for the Merry Christmas back. It's okay. I'm merry anyway. Thank you. <laughs> now, today we start a two-week series, like we said here, called Advent. Now, if you've ever been to church uh, around Christmas time, you've probably heard this word, Advent. Advent comes from the, uh, as you know, the, the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. The coming. We wait on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This week we're going to talk about waiting on his promise as we unpack Isaiah chapter 7. Next week we'll talk about waiting together and we'll just jump ahead a few chapters to Isaiah 9. But we're talking about waiting. Waiting, of course, is not necessarily America's favorite pastime. Right? America where we took the game of cricket and we boiled it down to baseball because we couldn't wait out a whole cricket match. But now we're too impatient for baseball. It moves too slow for us. I think you can see I'm a little bitter about that at this point. But we're talking about waiting on God's promise today. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to honor God's word as we unpack his promise in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, I want to remind you this was over four centuries. This was spoken over four centuries before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. I'm going to start with verse 10 of chapter 7 of Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, which was the, he was the king in Judah at the time. The Lord said through Isaiah, said, Ask of the Lord your God a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you have to weary God also? Therefore, the Lord God himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, please add a blessing to the reading of your word to help us to wait on you on your promise to trust you. Amen. I want us to be careful as we read verses like this to not grow so familiar with the text that we aren't able to step back and see how strange it is. What a strange thing to say. What a strange promise given. A virgin giving birth. Now you have to remember, this was back before artificial insemination. A virgin giving birth. This was almost like saying, like pigs flying, right? Or or, or white men dunking basketballs, which can happen with God, right? (laughs) A virgin giving birth. This was a strange thing to promise. And something that was given as a sign to test and see if we can really wait on the promise of God. So I said already that the title of my message is Waiting on God's Promise. And I have one point, which is one imperative, command, challenge for all of us. My point is this. You have to be really creative to get this out of the the title. My point is this. Wait on God's promise. So the title of my message is Waiting on God's Promise. And the one point is Wait on God's Promise. Your life 
itself is a test about whether or not you'll wait on God's promise and trust in him, or if you will place your trust and observe your waiting on other lesser things. So I need your help for a minute here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, wait on God's promise. Say it with some authority. Wait on God's promise. Good job. Good job. Now, God's promise is sure. God keeps his promise. Or to employ the double negative, God cannot not keep his promise. He is sure in delivering upon that which he has already proclaimed. But we're not as sure in the waiting, in the trusting, are we? So again, wait on God's promise. And as I go through some of the background and then dig into some of these scriptures, I, I'm going to give some layers of this imperative. So the first layer is this. Wait on God's promise and not on earthly things. Wait on God's promise and not on earthly things. Now, when Isaiah approaches King Ahaz, let me give you a little context and background. About a hundred years before this, the northern kingdom, which was called Israel at the time, it was, 12, or it was 10 different of the 12 tribes of the sons and the patriarchs, the, the people of Israel. 10 of the tribes of the people of Israel, Jacob's tribes, had been obliterated by the Assyrian nation. Uh, a very uh, nasty sort of genocide with the Assyrian people. And now Assyria was clo- closing in on Judah as well. And they were threatened. There was no peace in the land. It's reminiscent of the lack of peace that you and I might feel in our world today with the strife and the tensions. And here's how King uh, Ahaz of Judah decided to deal with this, this pressure he was facing. He decided to try to make an alliance with Syria, which was another ancient enemy of Israel, to, to come and protect against Assyria. He was trusting in the worldly structures to provide protection and promise and fulfillment for his people. Instead of waiting on God, he was waiting on the structures and the the worldly powers around him. That's not too dissimilar from our struggles and what we wait on today, is it not? God fulfills his great promise in our life and we can wait on him to see our desires fulfilled and he doesn't need earthly things and leaders. He doesn't need the Democrats to fulfill his word or to undo what the Republicans are doing or verse visa or vice versa. He doesn't need any of those things. He can fulfill his word and his promise without either of the jokers on either side of the political aisle. He is God and he's always been good at being God. He doesn't need us. Now, as I've researched Isaiah 7, some historians believe that this sign given in response to to Ahaz, when Ahaz says, uh, I'm going to decide to fulfill myself and provide protection by seeking alliances, unholy alliances on earth, and God comes to him through the mouth of Isaiah and says, what about me? Ask a sign of me, right? He refuses to do so. And as a sign against him, this prophetic vision and promise is given that wouldn't be fulfilled for centuries, right? 
Some historians believe that this sign given to Ahaz is really given as a sign not only of a promise of the future Messiah, but a sign directly against him. And they believe that Ahaz functions more or less as a symbol for all of us who tend to place our trust in earthly things instead of placing our trust and waiting on the promise of God. And so I'm going to ask you, let's get personal with ourselves, which is some of the hardest things to do, right? What earthly things do you tend to wait on that cause you to stop waiting on the promise of God? Is it the economy? The government? Your parents? Your spouse? Your bae? Your friends? Are you waiting on the world to change like John Mayer? Which, by the way, that hasn't really been working out for him. What are you waiting on in the world instead of waiting on the promise of God? See, all the things that God gives us, spouses, friends, parents, these are good things to hold up to him with open hands and to to steward rightly and to glorify God with, but they are horrible replacements for God and his promise. We can't wait on them. So wait on God's promise and not on earthly things. Now, number two, second observation as I go through this scripture is Wait on God's promise, which involves waiting. That's my silly way of saying that waiting is difficult, but essential. Let me reread verse 14, because we need to not just be familiar with how strange and wonderful it is. Therefore, the Lord, this is the sign given to a, a king who's struggling to wait on the promise of God. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. She shall call his name Emmanuel. This is an outrageous, bizarre sign. Has God, has God ever spoken anything outrageous or strange to you? Has he ever promised anything that's a little bit outside of your paradigm of understanding? I mean, for me, as I first became a Christian at age 14, when I was led to Jesus uh, by people who lived differently than me, it seemed at the time, at the start, that it was so, such a strange way of living to glorify God and to please him first. And so I started to read the Bible, and it was strange to me. It was like alien type of things, right? The promises of God's word and even the subsequent promises that has been spoken directly to me by the mouths of prophets, They're strange. His ways are above our ways. There should be something strange and outrageous about God's promise in our lives. And also, not only something strange about what he he promises, but there's a, a, a point where he promises and another point where he delivers. And in between those two points is what we call time. It's an opportunity to trust him or to mistrust him. It's an imperative to wait on the promise of God. If there was not that thing in between what he proclaims and what he delivers, if there wasn't time, then it wouldn't be a promise and a fulfillment. It would just be an act of God, right? But when he promises and there's time in between what he promises and what he delivers on, it's an opportunity for us to trust him, to wait on him, Otherwise, it wouldn't be waiting without the promise preceding 
the delivery of the promise. Now, waiting is an important thing. This summer, my daughter's school hosted a parent training, and one of the main themes of the the parent training, based on the research of Dr. Peg Dawson, was the formative benefit of waiting. Got one amen out of that. I struggle with that amen. The formative benefit of waiting. Did you know that there's a cognitive and developmental benefit for kids and adults that comes through waiting? You see, this is one brief moment where for for just a a, a tiny window of time in the the most uh, simple of ways where science seems to just catch up with God for just a minute. There's benefit, developmental benefit in waiting. There's something deep and powerful that's formed and forged into the soul of a believer that can only come into your life through waiting. Through waiting on God's promise. Now, our, our family has been experiencing a unique type of waiting this last year. I've hopefully not complained too much from the pulpit about it, but if so, I'm going to indulge some more. Uh, last winter, so almost two years ago, so uh, two winters ago, uh, we had our fourth child, Bethlehem Ellen. Uh, and right after she was born, as my wife was still barely even recovering from her, her pregnancy, I came down, I got really sick, I came down with a, a pretty significant lupus flare, which left me, if not capacitated, then probably just full-on crippled. I was struggling. It was, it was extremely painful. It was the second time something like this has happened to me, and I've gone through this. Uh, and at that moment, my wife and I really started to pray directly about whether or not we should live closer to our family. Uh, and uh, we prayed about it, and we, even in the midst of our prayer, got some pretty amazing confirmation from God. And so with God's promise in that moment, with our big decision, I was like, okay, God's promise is in this sucker, so it's going to be easy breezy, right? Uh, and that's apparently not how God's word works, and it definitely wasn't how our life's been working. We uh, sold our house in, in Kyle, uh, and we moved to wait on building our house, which is supposed to take between three and five months. We could even wait six months, you know. Um, we, we were waiting on God to help us build a house that was going to be almost as big as the house we had just sold, but more importantly, nearer to our family. Well, the, the three to five months wasn't the plan. Because after 10 months, uh, our builder came back with his bid finally. And it was 24% above our budget. Which is no beans, right? We're not the government. We actually have to spend within a set budget of actual money. And so we found another builder, finally. And this is over a year into it, and we find another builder. And we had some struggles with that builder in our bank and all sorts of things. So we fire the bank, and then we're, this year we're going through with another bank. And two weeks ago, we had a pretty significant setback and uh, another little hiccup uh, this week. And we're still waiting, right? And, and you know what? I'm prophesying here. I don't, you don't have to receive this. But we're going to have some more hiccups in the future. But there's something that's been developed in us through the waiting. We're not waiting until we can enjoy God in the process. God's providing for us now, richly, 
in this season of our life, which we'll never have back. And the waiting has been important. We wait on God's promise instead of earthly things, and it involves waiting. Number three observation I have as I read through Isaiah 7 is for us to wait on God's promise, which comes with a sign. You see, God keeps his promise, and he does, throw, does so through signs and wonders and miracles, lest you and I take credit for his providence. There is no way that we're going to be able to take credit for something that only God's word and his power can deliver and fulfill. Verse 14, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, the Lord himself, everyone say the Lord himself. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if that's not an out-of-this-world promise, I don't know what is. The Lord himself is going to intervene in this situation Ahaz, Israel, Judah, though you don't deserve it, though you're turning to other things, God won't turn his back on you or his promise. He himself is going to intervene in the most outrageous of ways. Let's look at this word that's translated in English into virgin. Now, some liberal historians only in the last about 80 to 100 years have started to say that uh, this word that's translated virgin, it's in, in the Hebrew, it's almach, alma. I think we have it there. It's literally maiden. Now, some historians or so-called historians have, uh, have said that this word doesn't necessarily refer to virgin. And therefore, uh, since it really technically just means young woman, that it doesn't necessarily mean that the promise given is this miraculous promise about a virgin giving birth. Well, technically, specifically, this could be true, but contextually, it's never true. The only time this word almach is used anywhere refers to a chaste, unmarried woman, otherwise known as a virgin. And that's the point. Virgins don't just conceive and give birth without the power of God. It's an out-of-this-world promise that an out-of-this-world God alone can deliver on. And that's a sign for us. God not only keeps his promise, but he does, throw through the, does so through the most extravagant, unexpected, and ridiculous means possible. So that when the world is unsafe, and there's no security in Israel, or Assyria, or Syria, or Wall Street, or Main Street, or your family at Christmas time, or your job, there is security. In this world, because there is a God who speaks promises that are out of this world, promises like virgins giving birth, and who continues to deliver on his promise to you. The world's at war then, it's at war now. There's people who are waiting on God. They were waiting on God 400 years after this promise was spoken, and God delivered through a virgin giving birth. We're waiting on God today, and God's delivering through the virgin who gave birth. 
and who is still continuing to speak and fulfill his promises. Now, one simple takeaway as it relates to your life, and and when you compare all the things that you and I tend to worry about compared to what God does outrageously and has always done, think about this. God can do more through a tiny baby than all the world's armies combined can ever do. It was true then, and it's true now. A little baby is what God sent in the world of insecurity and real-life problems, right? And that has something to do a little bit with his power revealed to me in my own story with my house that puts in place the things that I tend to worry about. I told you, we've been wanting to build a house, which is a brick-and-mortar thing, that fits our home, our household. Literally, I was just thinking about this a few weeks ago. God, you know that we need a house that fits our four kids. And this baby can't keep sleeping in the closet her whole life, right? Like, and, I, and it hit me. Our four kids. Why do I get so used to that? If you knew our story, and maybe you do, and if not, you'll hear more in the coming months. We shouldn't have four kids. We're diagnosed as infertile. My fertility doctor is still confused about it. I kind of am. But why have I gotten so familiar? Compared to what God has done for me, what's a house that's going to burn anyway? He's given me four eternal little beings that came into existence at one sure point in time that I can remember and that will always be in eternity future. And for this brief window of time called the rest of our lives, we need some, we need some brick and some wood and, and, and some heating units and, and some budgets and mortgages to get worked out with banks. I mean, what's that? Now, comparatively, God is not reminding me of those things so that I can, that I can be ashamed of my need, but so that my need can be put in proper place compared to what he's already done. And so my, my encouragement to you, as you're waiting on God's promise, is remember past miracles while you wait for future miracles. Can you wait on God's promise? Well, you can if you stop and you remember. Remember God's past miracles as you wait on future ones. It emboldens us in the waiting process. Now, let's go back to Ahaz for a second. You know, he grew up in a culture, Jewish culture, my wife was talking about earlier, that so many of the rhythms of the year of holidays involved the Jewish people getting together and taking just a ridiculous amount of time out of their economic progress, right? To stop, to slow down, and to remember. Pretty much all the Jewish holidays are, remember what God has done, do this ritual, that ritual, so that you can remember. Why did all these things, why were all these things required? Because we're so easy to forget. We're so busy and forgetful. And so Ahaz, he, he should have been remembering. And I think one of the reasons why Israel was supposed to remember so much is that so they could remember the mighty hand of God and the miracles in the past so that they could be better to wait on miracles in the future instead of relying on earthly things. And yet, Ahaz was failing to do that. 
And the imperative to Ahaz is, Ahaz, ask God for a miracle. That's what was told him. Verse 11, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. You see, he thought he was being humble by not asking God for a miracle. He he wanted to help God out by, by taking care of things on earth for God, I guess. And not bother God with those things. See, that's not humble. That's called rejecting God. It's not remembering his miracles. And my encouragement to you, remember God's miracles and ask and pray for more miracles from the same source. In fact, this is going to be a little strong right now. If you're not praying for miracles, you're not really praying. You're essentially just kind of Uh, organizing your earthly affairs with God. Remember, Jesus is the one who taught us to pray for miracles. Every prayer, he said, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. What's that all about? That's way above what I'm able to understand or to organize in my life. Your kingdom come. What an outrageous and ridiculous prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all the things that I'm worried about, I need just a virgin to give birth in this moment or something like that. Good, you're in the right place, says the Lord. If you will allow your heart to wait on his promise. And so my challenge to you, as we enter into the the rest of the year, right? My challenge to you is to stop and remember what God has done. Go back to old journals. What has God spoken? What miracles has he done? What prophetic words have you received? Can you stop and remember? And more fundamentally, more importantly, can you dig into God's promise in his word? Go, go and, and do a little homework study. This is homework at church. Just go and remember the promises that God gives us. I guarantee you, if you spend some time to do this, your problems will not go away. They'll just go into right place. They'll be reduced where they belong and not overwhelmingly. God's promise is more powerful and weighty than our problems. You just have to let it speak. So let me get you started with this little homework assignment. God promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31. He promises that he will never stop loving you. Jeremiah 31. He promises that he won't remember your sins. He'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43. All these promises can cling to you. Are you struggling to to believe it? Are you growing weary? Well, here's a promise for you. That even young men will grow weary and go faint-hearted. But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's a promise. And the last thing is this. It's how God fulfills his promise. Especially in this case, that's so amazing to me. Don't miss this word, the last word spoken. It says already that God himself will fulfill the promise. But one thing you need to know with any promise is ultimately God not only is the one who fulfills the promise, but he is the fulfillment of the promise. Emmanuel means God with us. 
So what fulfillment are you waiting on? What things are you waiting on from the hand of God right now? What answers are you looking for? God can meet those needs, but he'll, he'll do something even better than giving you things or giving you answers. He gives you himself. He's with you. That's the greatest part of the promise is that God not only sends forth the fulfillment, but he becomes the sent one who is the fulfillment and who is present in your life. So when you, even when you don't have answers, you can have God near you. The greatest part of the promise is that he'll say, he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Forsake you. He says that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have to fear no evil. Why? Because he's with you. He's with you. His very presence is the fulfillment of the promise he's already given to you. So Advent. Advent means the coming. Jesus has already come. And we're still waiting because he promised to come back. And he promised that his kingdom would come and his will would be done even as we're waiting on that promise. So I want to do a little exercise right now. As we close, I want us to close our eyes and I want us to have a moment of remembering. I want you to allow your mind right now to to be filled with the miracles that God has done in your past. Some of you, when you leave here, you need to go ahead and journal that to get you started on your memory book and your promise book. Some of you aren't even supposed to, according to the, uh, according to the, the, the doctors, aren't, you aren't even supposed to be alive right now. Remember what he's done. Now as you're thinking about that, I, I want you to draw near to God who's done all these miracles in your life. He promised if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It says in the book of James. Draw near to him. Don't don't be shy in your prayer. That doesn't please God. Remember what he's done. And now, tell him what you need. What miracle do you need from God? Ask him. Go ahead. Now, even as we're still praying, some of us need the greatest miracle. Maybe we haven't received. You need God to save you. You need God to transform you from being dead in sin and continuing, you see it by the patterns of your life, and you need God to transform you to being alive with him, to make you a new person, to make you born again. And you can't, make yourself born again any more than you made yourself born the first time, right? You need God to help you. And you can ask. You can say, God, do what only you can do. Save me. If that's you, if you have not been made new for the first time and come in to become a believer, a child of God, the Holy Spirit's telling you that's you. You pray for that miracle. I don't want to embarrass you, but even now as we're praying, can you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? If you need God to make you a new person. Thank you, God. Anyone else? Even in your heart, just pray. Repeat after me. God, thank you for your promise. I believe you. 
Make me a new person. You died on the cross and rose again so that I could have life in you. Make me new. Amen. Let me remind you of your homework. I want everyone here to maybe write down some of the things he's done and to start working on a list of promises that he's made to you. I guarantee you, when you do this, it'll speak louder than all your worries. It'll put them in proper place. So uh, we're not going to turn it in next week, all right? So if you come next week, we're not going to have a a box and and turn it in. There's no extra credit. This is for you. Uh, A few things as we dismiss. We have a few important business items that I need to cover before we dismiss. And then we have a treat for you, all right? You guys like treats at Christmas? Okay, a few business things first. Joy boxes in the back are for gifts uh, and for giving unto God. The connection table is our connections cards. If you're visiting, we want to communicate with you better, and those cards help us. Uh, we need you to know, too, we started a service in, in Austin this September. We've decided to pause our service in Austin for a while. Everyone who was up there already knows that, but just in case anyone else... Uh, didn't know about that. We've, we've uh, stopped our services in Austin for a while while we're preparing to send, send a team uh, in the future, in the coming months, uh, that'll be a little bit more prepared for holidays and things like that. Um, we're working on that. I just wanted you all to know, don't invite friends to our service in Austin because we're, 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 we're waiting on that, okay? Um, um, so um, you can invite them to do coffee with you in Austin and share your story, but that's cool. But we don't have services in Austin at this time. Uh, an update on our, last week we issued a giving challenge. We're talking about that in the coming weeks. Different families are doing different things on their own, and different growth groups are even foregoing uh, the, the rest of their growth group meetings the rest of the year to do special things at, at uh, uh, soup kitchens and, and homeless shelters and things like that. That's up to you and your growth group. If you need help, you can uh, ask us. In